Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for January 19th, 2020. Today, Brother Omar brings us part two of his message called Doctrine of the Church, Charismatic Gifts, Gift of Prophecy. Now, Brother Omar answers the questions, what are the characteristics of biblical prophecy? And is the office of a prophet still available for today? And lastly, is God still giving new revelation? Find out today as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. We are continuing with our series of the Charismatic Gifts. Last time we spoke about the gift of prophecy. And what I'd like to do today is maybe continue from where I left off and kind of explain a little bit about the uh, two functions of prophecy or how the gift of prophecy shows up in the Bible and how it shows up in two different ways, okay? So if you remember last time, um, we dealt a little bit with the characteristics of a true prophet, okay? The Bible defines what a true prophet is, and you find that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. And this is how, how God lets the people, the people of Israel know how they could recognize what a true prophet is. And in verse 20 of chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, it says this, The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded shall die. If you say in your heart, how we may know the word that the Lord has not spoken. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So you have two uh, characteristics of a false prophet. Number one, when he prophesies, if what he says, if he says such and such is going to happen and it doesn't happen, then God says, well, that's not a true prophet, right? The other one is, if he doesn't have his doctrine altogether, if he guides you towards other gods, if he sends you to worship something other than the revealed God, then that is a false prophet. But primarily, when we're dealing with the biblical prophet, we're dealing with 100% accuracy. When a prophet prophesies in the Bible, when he speaks, that is 100% accurate. Now, the reason for that is because he is speaking God's word. Remember the example that we gave last time? Moses is chosen by God to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says to God, well, I'm not good with speaking. I'm not a good speaker. So God says to Moses, okay, you shall be like God to Pharaoh and Aaron shall be your prophet. And he's going to speak to Aaron the words that you speak to him. So Aaron was Moses' spokesman person, right? He related to Pharaoh whatever God told him. And so the prophet is a spokesperson. And therefore, if he's speaking God's word, that is going to be 100% accurate because it carries the same integrity. God's word is perfect. It does not have error, etc. And so that is the number one characteristic of the biblical prophet. Okay, he's 100% accurate. So, we also talked about last time a little bit about how prophecy in the Bible has two f- 
functions, okay? Two different functions, all right? Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians 12, there's two texts, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians first because that's where we've been. Here you get a list of gifts, talked about a little bit. It's a list of the different gifts of the Spirit. And in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but in this is the same God who empowers them all and every one. Okay, now we've, we've covered about how that works. One spirit, different gifts, one body, different members. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. That's the purpose of the gifts, the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So, you have here a list, and if you pay attention to this list, you notice they all have one thing in common, is that all these gifts are miraculous gifts. Okay, They have to do with miracles, with signs and wonders and things like that. So if you go to Romans 12, we get another list, 12.4 of Romans. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and all individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So you have more or less the same idea taught here. But if you notice the difference is that these gifts are not necessarily miraculous gifts. These are supernatural because they're given to us by the Spirit of God, but they have nothing to do with workings of miracles. So in both lists, one lists miraculous gifts, the other one does not, yet in both lists you find one gift that appears in both, and that is prophecy. Prophecy appears as a miraculous gift, but it also appears as a non-miraculous gift of the Spirit. All right. So the gift of prophecy has a miraculous aspect to it, but it also has a non-miraculous aspect. And I want to explain that, and that's what I left off last time, and I'd like to explain that today. What do I mean prophecy is a miraculous gift? The way that the prophets operated in the Bible is that the prophets received revelation from God. The word revelation means to disclose that which was hidden. So they were getting direct revelation from God, which then they were going forth and announcing to the people. So the word prophet simply means somebody who stands before. Before not as in, in time, but before as in an, audi an audience, right? I'm standing right now before you guys, right? That is a prophet. 
It has, it, the term itself has nothing to do with content. It's just the simple action of standing before an audience and delivering something. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the office of the prophet was the special office of receiving revelation from God, which was then announced. When the Bible was being inspired and when God was giving his revelation, what the prophet was speaking was new, okay? It was something that he was receiving from God and speaking to the people. In that sense, it was miraculous. They were receiving direct revelation from God, and they were speaking it, stuff that nobody had heard before, but they were speaking it, okay? This is why in the Bible, God says, if a prophet says something, about what's going to happen, and it doesn't happen, then it's not from me, right? Because I know what's going to happen, right? So that is the office of a prophet was to speak direct revelation from God. In that sense, that was a miraculous activity, okay? In the other sense, prophecy also was reiterating already received revelation, Okay? There were prophets in the Bible that would proclaim stuff that was already have been revealed in the past. We see this in Acts chapter 2. Let me give you that, that example. This is the gift of prophecy. Now we know the story, right? We've covered this a million times, right? Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up with the 11 and he does what? He begins proclaiming. He stands before the people and he begins proclaiming. And he says to them, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So Peter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 begins to speak and proclaim a word or a revelation that was given to the prophet Joel. He applies it to them. So Peter is proclaiming. He is prophesying before them a revelation that was already given. He is reiterating the revelation that God had already given. And so the gift of prophecy is simply the supernatural endowment by God, the Spirit, to be able to boldly stand up before an audience and proclaim God's Word to them. During the time the Bible was being given, it was a miraculous gift. Once the Bible has been completed and the canon has been closed, then the gift operates the same way but the content is the same, but is already finished. So the question when people ask, is the gift of prophecy something that is still available today and in operation today? Yes, it is. The real question is, is God still giving revelation? Is God still giving direct revelation to people? All right. Now, if you go back to Romans 12, there's something very interesting. Romans 12, verse 4, Paul says this, 
one body, many members. Not all members have the same function, right? And he keeps saying this over and over again. One body, different members, individual members, different functions. And then he says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. So the one that has in the New Testament the gift of prophecy, he is to exercise it in proportion to our faith. Something very important, and this is not mine, I'm going to give credit where it is due, John MacArthur points out that this could also be translated as in accordance to the measure given, right? Or in according to the proper measure, right, of the faith. The faith here does not necessarily mean your faith or your belief, okay? The faith can also mean, and I'll show you that in a minute, the systems of belief that we have been given. Go to Jude, verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude says, I want you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Paul says, if you have the gift of prophecy, you exercise it in proportion to our faith, in proportion to the measure given, in proportion to the once and for all deliver and given faith. That has an implication. The implication is that the faith, the system of beliefs that we hold as Christians was once and for all delivered. Is a closed system. Is a limited system. Is a particular amount that has been measured out, closed, handed over to the saints, and therefore it has to be contended for. So in the New Testament, the gift of prophecy operates in proportion to the faith that has already been sealed, handed down, and delivered. So the Christian faith is not an open faith that is constantly receiving new things. It's a closed system. That's why the early church referred to the Bible as the canon. Canon was a measuring rod. It was a standard. Okay, so you, okay, this is, all right, so that's that tall, right? It's a, it's a fixed thing. That's the canon. The reason they called it that is because the Bible has to be closed, right? It's a, it's a measured amount already given. And so to prophesy in our times, post the apostolic era, is to proclaim before an audience, is to proclaim the already given measured out faith and to contend for it. And so the question is not whether or not the gift operates, because we find the gift listed in two different places that has two different categories of gifts. In the times when the apostle is writing 1 Corinthians 12, this gift was still in operation miraculously because they were receiving revelation. So the apostles, the disciples had the gift, may have been speaking words that were new or reiterating the teachings of the apostles. But once this canon has been closed off 
And God has told us all He had to tell us, which is more than enough and more than we need. Then the gift operates in regard to the already closed canon. All right? That's very important to understand. All right? It's very important to understand that whatever gifts and how we operate in the gifts need to refer back to this word. Let me give you another verse. Revelation 19. Okay? Revelation 19, verse 10. It says this, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So John is talking to an angel. The angel says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? That means that all prophecy is fulfilled in the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the one who proclaims Jesus Christ is fulfilling the spirit of prophecy. Because all Old Testament prophecy leads to him, to Christ. All the way through Revelation, which is the prophecy of his second coming of Christ. All things are consummated in him, in Jesus Christ. So to proclaim Christ is to fulfill the spirit of prophecy. And so this is what the Bible means in Hebrews. We know Hebrews by memory now. Hebrews 1.1. God in the old days spoke by the prophets in different manners, in different ways. What does that mean? Visions, proclamations, uh, dreams, uh, wonders, uh, making little things of clay and all of that. But now, in these last days, he speaks to us by his Son, whom he has made the heir of all things. He is the consummation of all things. And his testimony is the spirit of prophecy. He's the ultimate fulfilled prophecy. He's what the whole Bible is about. And so to proclaim Christ is to fulfill that spirit of prophecy. And so God has gifted in the church. He has done it back then. He's still doing it today. Certain men and women who may have the supernatural ability to boldly proclaim Christ and his word. Now, what does that mean? How, do, how does that look like in practice? Let me give you a very bad illustration, but this is the best I can do, okay? Bear with me. I'm going to compare prophecy with, say, the gift of teaching. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the Bible mentions those. The, uh, Romans chapter 12, to the one who teaches. You know, so there's a gift of teaching. The prophet is the man who proclaim, or woman, who proclaim God's word boldly. So say you're walking down, I don't know, you're walking down the street, you get beat up, and then somebody comes up to you and says, you need to go to the gym, sir. You're weak, you cannot defend yourself, you got to go to a boxing gym, and you need to start training. So you go to the boxing gym, okay? The guy who told you that, he's the prophet, quote-unquote. He's proclaiming to you something that is true, and he's telling you to do something about it. But it does you no good to go to the gym if there's nobody there who's actually going to show you how to throw a jab, 
right? How to uh, have a proper stance when you're boxing, how to cover yourself. That person is the teacher. So both men, both gifts require you to stand before people, require you in a sense to proclaim, but what changes is how they do so, right? The, the person who proclaims, the proclaimer, I don't want to use the word prophet because it has a certain connotation in our day. So the proclaimer, right, is the one who announces the, the word of God and calls you to do something. Peter told those people when he was standing before them, this is what has been prophesied. This is who Christ was. You need to turn away from your sins and repent. That's proclamation. Later on, somebody needs to come along with the same message. This is Christ. This is Jesus. Yes, you killed him. But here's what this means. Here's what the Old Testament said about it. Here's how you have to apply it. So the, the teacher is going to take longer because he's taking you from here to 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 here. The person who proclaims goes out and just proclaims it. Right? So somebody proclaims the truth. Somebody teaches the same truth and teaches you how to apply it or trains you in it. That's the two different gifts that you see operating in the church. But the person who proclaims is the, has the gift of prophecy. Now, that could be to an unbelievers, right? There's going to be people who are going to go out into the mission field, who are going to go out to a street corner, who are going to go out into a church, who's going to go out into a revival tent, and he's going to call people to repentance and get saved and find Jesus. The same person have the same gift of prophecy may go to a church of believers that may be and, and doing things that they shouldn't, and he's going to tell them to repent. Stop doing what you're doing. This is what the Bible says. This is how we ought to live, we ought to live a holy life, etc. He's going back to the Word, but he's proclaiming boldly something. It could be to an unbelieving audience, it could be to a believing audience. He also offers encouragement. The Apostle Paul says that he who prophesies edifies, encourages, and offers consolation. Sometimes people need encouragement. And somebody in the church may have a word boldly proclaim about you need to be encouraged, brothers. Things are hard out there. We know that. But you need to be encouraged because we've got Christ. And the Bible says this. That person gives a bold proclamation. You get encouraged. Consolation. Somebody died in the church. Somebody is sick in the church. The person who proclaims, the proclaimer is going to remind you that God is alive, that Christ promised not to never leave us, that there's hope after life, etc. But it's a short proclamation applied to a specific purpose, as opposed to the teacher who's going to spend time explaining to you different things. This is how the gifts operate within the body of Christ. And the gift of prophecy had those two functions. It was miraculous when it was being Practice when, during the time when the Bible was being given. And so the office of a prophet no longer exists because nobody's receiving direct revelation from God. There might be people who claim they are, but they're not. All right? The other function, the gift, still is an operation today. What I just told you is something that we see throughout history in different churches. God has raised men. Athanasius defended the doctrine of the Trinity Back in 200 A.D., when everybody was against him, he didn't care. This is what the Bible says. The whole world's against you. Let the whole world be against me. I don't care. If it's true, it's true. That is a prophetic 
ministry, boldly declaring God's word. Some people do it at their jobs. Some people do it to the culture that says, you know, marriage is supposed to be this and that. No, it's not. The word of God says that marriage is this one thing and this one thing alone. Ah, but, you know, that may cost you your job. Let it cost me my job. The Bible says this thing and this thing alone. That's a prophet, right? In a sense, that's a prophet. Now, how the gift of prophecy is understood and how it's practiced in the charismatic Pentecostal church is a little bit different, okay? Now, what happened was, I don't know if you guys remember, but when I gave you a brief history of how the, the charismatic Pentecostal church, there has been several, several redefinitions of certain doctrines that have been understood a certain way. Uh, remember when we talked about how tongues was originally understood to be languages, and then the understanding was redefined, and it was changed to be something like, it could be languages or it could be angelic um, language, whatnot. Um, in a sense, I've said that I believe that's what, in a way, saved the movement. You know, because if, if tongues is languages, it's pretty easy to point out, right? Somebody shows up, uh, Speaking Chinese, you can figure that out pretty quickly. But if tongues is angels or spiritual language, then we don't know, right? Same thing happened with prophecy. In the 70s, there was this group of men in Kansas called the Kansas City Prophets. This is people like Mike Bickle, Bob Jones, Paul Kane, who began to uh, move in what they call the prophetic. This is a new term that they came up with, moving in the prophetic. And they started prophesying. Um, it doesn't take very long of people prophesying, and you realize that some of the stuff they were saying were not panning out, right? They were prophesying things that were going to happen that didn't happen. And so, pretty easy, people would point that out and criticize. Well, in the 1978, an unlikely person wrote a doctrinal or a PhD dissertation, okay, about prophecy that tweaked the meaning of prophecy. Now, this person is otherwise fantastic, all right? You recommend his work, he's pretty good, but for whatever reason, he wrote a book on prophecy. Now, his name is Wayne Grudem. Some of you may have his books. And Wayne Grudem says that New Testament prophecy is different from prophecy that gave us the Bible. He says that the gift of prophecy is a general revelation that God gives that in and of itself is perfect and accurate, but how it's perceived by the person speaking it because it's being perceived humanly, it might be tainted by mistakes. Right? So the general broad revelation that God may give to a person, because it comes from God, is, in that sense, perfect, infallible. But how it's perceived and communicated in details by the person, the, the prophet, who speaks it, may be fallible. And this is how you explain people making mistakes, right? Admittedly, by himself, he says that this is a different way of understanding prophecy that perhaps did not exist before, okay? Now, that notion 
that you could prophesy but be wrong about it is what I believe saved the whole movement. Because now I can speak, God told me to tell you this, but if that doesn't pan out, then maybe I didn't perceive it right. So you have comments from people like Mike Bickle that says our prophecy accuracy rate is like 30%. And I've heard people say the best of prophets got about an 80% accuracy rate. And so the reason why they say that, and the, the way that they defend the teaching, is simply by pointing out the fact that we're told in Scripture to judge prophecy indicates that it could be wrong. Okay. Now, I don't want to spend time giving you all the details. I mean, Wayne Grudem is an unbelievably intelligent man. Okay? Um, many other people have written books refuting what he says, etc. But more or less, his point is the fact that we are called to judge. Let me give you that verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. 519 says, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. So that is the verse one of the verses they'll use to say that we have to test the prophecies, indicating the prophecies may be wrong. Well, I 100% agree, number one, that we have to test the prophecies, and number two, the prophecies could be wrong. The thing that he tries to do, and not only him, they're, they're, I'm just using him as an example, there are many other, is that they're trying to separate the prophecies from the prophet. You can't do that in the Bible. The Bible keeps them together. If the prophecy is wrong and does not come true, the prophet is false. The prophecy is false, the prophet is false. The prophecy is true, the prophet is true. Those two things are bound together in Scripture. Now, one of the problems is, is if you believe that the, these gifts are supposed to be operating today the same way they did before, but in reality they're not panning out the way that they did before, so you have to redefine them. And that's what has happened with things like tongues, with things even like uh, miracles. This is why you see a redef redefinition of miracles, right? Like uh, some people will say, my leg hurts, um, the man prayed for it, it doesn't hurt anymore. That's a miracle, God healed you. No, it's not a miracle. If your leg is missing and then it grows back, that's a miracle, right? So, but we are constantly redefining these terms in order to accommodate what we see. And there's a major problem with that notion because now we're subject to words of prophets. That's a problem. I know people that have to hear from a prophet if they should take a job or not. I got a job offer. I don't know if I should take it. Let me go to somebody and see what they tell me. And the prophet tells them, should I marry this? People have been told who to marry. I know people who literally were told, marry this person, and they did. Thank God they're still together, right? But that type of stuff you see constantly because if God is still given revelation, as it is taught, though it might be proclaimed wrongly, if God's still given it, then I want to go and get it. That is a misunderstanding of prophecy. Prophecy is all consummated in Christ. It led to him 
his first coming and is going to lead to him again and his second coming. It's all consummated about him. His testimony, his proclamation is the spirit of prophecy. It's a misunderstanding of the whole thing. The office of the prophet is no longer necessary. The man of God gave his word as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. His word was recorded, written, closed. The office ended. You don't need a builder in your house after your house is built. The builder was important. He was a great person, but he already built your house. He doesn't have to keep coming back to build the house that is already built. We don't need people, prophets, to come back to build a house that has already been built. They laid the foundation. The foundation is built, is done. We're building on top of what they left us. Okay? So the office of the prophet that's done away, the gift of prophecy is still operating. There's going to be men and women. There always has been. There always will be. We're going to stand up before people and proclaim Jesus Christ and proclaim His glory. You know, first of uh, uh, Hebrews 1, 1 is such a beautiful introduction to a book. Just, just, just let me read that. I got to read this. Go to Hebrews 1, 1. Hebrews 1, 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, be made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained more excellent name than they. Than who? The angels. Than who? The prophets. He is the radiance this is such a, this is such a, this is too good, all right? All things are consummated in him, okay? He is whom he, we, when the Old Testament prophets were prophesying, they weren't prophesying just for the sake of, you know, prophesying. They were prophesying who? Christ and his coming. When Daniel stood up and gave you the whole next 400 years of history in the book of Daniel, he prophesied the whole next 400 years of history, political events, wars were going to happen, all that. What was he prophesying about? He was prophesying of Christ and his coming. That's what the Old Testament prophets, they weren't walking around telling you, you know, uh, you know I've, seen, I've, I've seen some good things in my life. I've been in services where people walk up and he's like, some guy walks up to them, they're like, you know my name? We met before, we talked before. No. Your father's name is uh, Pedro. Yes, it is. Woo, hallelujah. I have no idea what just happened or what, what's the point of this, right? You don't see Old Testament prophecy like that. There was not fortune telling or divination or, you know, the amazing Randy. That's not how they did it. They were prophesying for a reason and a purpose about something and somebody, and that is Christ. 
So that's what all prophecy points towards. We are to proclaim Christ. Some of you are going to have the gift to boldly proclaim Christ. Some of you may have one or two gifts. But in the church, the Apostle Paul said, this is necessary. Paul says, he the prophesied is greater than he who speaks in tongues. And in the church, seek that you prophesy. This is the most important gift, Paul says. What brings the crowd is what encourages people. It's what edifies people, right? All the gifts are important. Certain ones are more important than others. And we're all going to be gifted by the Spirit as He sees fit to operate in the different gifts that are going to be necessary for this thing called the church to go forward. All right, so I got 10 minutes, but I'm going to finish here. Um, three things I would like you to remember. I'd like you to remember the whole sermon, but at the very least, three things. All right, number one, biblical prophets had 100% accuracy. <laughs> you need to remember this. 100% accuracy. One failed prophet. You had 99 good prophecies. One was wrong. You're a false prophet. That's God's standard. Okay? God bases the legitimacy of his own word on the fact that he has fulfilled all the prophecies that he gave in it. God himself says, this is my word is true because all the things prophesied in him, I made him, I brought them to pass. Okay? So, on question, that's God's standard. 100% accuracy. All right? Number two, the office of the prophet ceased with the completion of the canon. The word of God has been completed. We've got what God told us to have. All right? We've got it. Number three, the gift of prophecy, the gift of boldly proclaiming the truth of the testimony of Jesus Christ is still in operation today. As simple as that. Those three things, I believe, is what defined this whole thing about prophecy. All the conversations that you hear about prophecy, prophetic, moving in the prophetic. I don't even know what that means, moving in the prophetic. I don't know how you move in the prophetic. I don't know how you do that. But all these conversations... You have those three things that you need to remember. 100% accuracy, the office of the prophet went away with the completion of the canon, and yes, the gift of proclaiming before a people. The words, the, the proportion of the faith that has been given to us is still a gift that is in operation today and is very vital and important for the church. So those three things is what I leave you with. This is it on the issue of prophecy. I will move on next time to healing. And I promise you, once we get through all of that, everything else will move pretty quickly, okay? I know you've heard those promises made by other people who preach from this pulpit, but I promise you, after that, things will move pretty quickly, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that your word is true, authentic, that you have fulfilled every prophecy that you gave in it, Lord, and then we have holding in our hand the full measure of the faith that you gave to the saints, Lord. We thank you for preserving it down the ages, right down to us, Lord, and we pray that we may be faithful in defending it and teaching it and proclaiming it, Lord, to a fallen world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. 
If you like more information about followers of The Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.